All right, everybody, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis chapter 13, please, excuse me. Genesis chapter 13, find your place, and we'll be off and running into the Word of God real quick, clear, and uh, get it all done. I'm sure glad to see a good crowd here tonight. I've never been here before, but already I like this church. I like this church. And I'm just as, how many are happy tonight? Raise your hand. I'm as happy as a raccoon in the cornfield with the hound dogs tied right now. I really am. And as you can already tell, you're listening to a southern redneck kind of a preacher tonight. And I'm heaven bound with the hammer down and I'm happy about it. I really am. Glad my wife Rhonda can be here. And by the way, ladies, you don't want to miss that Sunday morning. Let me tell you some, you girls, you teenagers and young college age and under there girls, she may look like grandma to you, but that girl's got it all over there. Now, you just put it down there. She, she's got it all, and I know what I'm talking about, too. Rhonda and I, we show up more places than Elvis, you know. We, you used to see Elvis showing up somewhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're, we're just as happy as we can be. We're not like one couple that's married a little over 50 years. They'd had a long day, and they'd celebrated their 50th anniversary and uh, they went to retire for the evening, and they were so tired. They went in the bedroom, and the man just went out and sat down in a chair at the end of the bed, trying to muster enough courage to get ready to go to bed. And uh, the lady went over and stood by the dresser, slowly opened the dresser drawer. She was in her late 70s or 80s. He was about the same. And she opened the drawer, and she reached up and took her le- necklace off and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her glasses off and placed it neatly in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her left earring off and placed it neatly in the drawer and her right earring off and placed it neatly in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her uh, bracelet off and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached over and took her watch off and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her left hearing aid out and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her right hearing aid out and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her upper dentures out and placed them in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her lower dentures out and placed them in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her wig off and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached down and unscrewed her left leg and placed it neatly in the drawer. And because she only had one leg to stand on, she fell just like a crashing tree right over in the bed. Well, when she did, she looked at her husband. He was still sitting there like he's staring at her. She said, would you mind telling me why you're sitting there staring at me like that? Oh, he said, I'll tell you. I'm just sitting here trying to figure out whether I'm supposed to get in the bed or get in the drawer. I don't know which place. (laughs) Just about as much of that woman in one place as it was the other. And uh, so Rhonda and I have not come to that stage yet. We forgot to get old. We forgot to get old. And we continue to plan to live that kind of life till the big bell rings and we go over to the other side. I'm moving to Genesis chapter number 13. Now, here's what I've got. i got something tonight for a midweek service. And uh, this is not like one of the sermons I'd preach in a conference. We'll get to some of that on Sunday. And listen, if you don't come back Sunday, bad things will happen to you. Bad, (laughs) bad things will happen to you. And you want to be here. As a matter of fact, Rhonda's going to be, I won't even hint at what Rhonda's going to tell you girls and ladies, but uh, I'm going to say something to you men. And this is not an exaggeration. My wife knows not because she knows when I announce it, she'll know what I'm going to. I'm going to tell you about 
I'm going to tell you men, it'll be a man, man, boy, it'll be fine, boys and teenagers, in there, nothing hurt any age. But I'm going to tell you men and boys about the most unusual experience I have had in all of my years. 50, I've been saved and I've been preaching 58 years. And I'm going to tell you about the most unusual experience. And the title of the message, I want to tell you what it's about. Uh, it, it make you women want to come and hear it. The title of the message is The Woman on the Bridge. Now, you come. It's the most unusual event that ever happened in my life. And uh, you'll want to come. It wouldn't hurt the ladies, but we don't want you there. Uh, if you, no, we don't want you there. No. This is a man's meeting. Say amen, men, a man's meeting. And, uh, but if you want to record it and let the ladies hear it, nothing that hurt them. And uh, so the woman on the bridge, don't miss that on Sunday, for Sunday school, that is. And then I'll be preaching something else in the morning, two morning services, and then that night. Well, let's get started here. Genesis chapter number 13. I'm going to read a familiar passage of Scripture and bring a very unfamiliar truth that's as fresh and straight out in your face from this passage as anything you ever saw. And for the life of you, you'll say, how did I miss that? How did I miss seeing that all these years? And I believe it can change your life. Here we go. Genesis chapter 13. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not, I mean, buckle your seatbelt. I feel some preaching coming on right now. I mean, the big wheel's about to get tangled up with the little wheel. And we're about, I mean, we're about to get this plane off. Blessed is he that can get airborne without much runway. Say amen right there. Here we go. Genesis 13, verse number one. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the south. By the way, let me pause and say, notice how intelligent Abram was. He went south. I'm a southerner. I'm a deep south southerner. Um, And they picked on me when I went to Iowa for being a southerner until I explained to them how all those people got down south. When our forefathers came over on the Mayflower, somebody stuck up a sign that said, go south, my brother, and everybody that could read did, and that's how they all got down there. But anyway, <clears throat> just picking on you a little bit now, and here we go, and a lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Now notice verse 5, and Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Now, that's a critical verse in the interpretation of where I'm going here with this passage. This midweek service. You ought to learn some Bible when you come to midweek service. You ought to learn some every other time too, but here we go. Now, verse 8, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my Herman and thy Herman, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee... Notice here, he said, is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take to the left hand, I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zor. Then Lot chose him, all the plain of Jordan, 
And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves. There's that little word again, separated themselves. We found it in verse number 9. We see it again in verse number 11. They separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Let's bow our heads in prayer, asking the Lord to open our hearts and teach us things we'll never forget after tonight. Oh, Spirit of the living God, Lord, we're glad you're already on the scene. How wonderful, Lord, you came tonight. What a wonderful thing. I feel your presence in this place. I felt it long before I got up here, and I'm glad, Lord, somebody prayed for tonight. Somebody prayed, and oh, God, I pray that you'll speak to all of our hearts tonight. Lord, speak to me, and may you just come fresh and wonderful into the service tonight, and we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. When Abraham left the rich, fertile Ur of the Chaldees and went out to look for a city whose builder and maker was God, to leave wealth and fame and houses and riches and become a vagabond living in tents, guess who went with him? Lot. We cut Lot short. When we think of Lot, we think of a carnal man that went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he did. And we think he got his eyes on money. That has nothing to do with why he went to Sodom. I was shocked when I saw that in the Bible, and I'm going to show it to you, and you're going to agree with me. But we cut Lot short. We think of Lot as a carnal person. You show me who you want to hang around and be with, I'll tell you a whole lot about yourself. And Abraham left to go seeking a city whose builder and maker was God. And Lot went with him. So we believe Lot walked with God because Abraham did. You wouldn't want to be around Abraham without walking with God. As a matter of fact, Abraham wouldn't let you be around him without walking with God. Uh, Lot prayed because Abraham prayed. Lot lived righteous. Abraham lived righteous. Abraham sought the Lord daily in his word, and so did Lot. And there came a moment in Lot's life when suddenly, within three verses, he was in Sodom. After years of dedication, after a long surrender to the Lord, boom, suddenly, he's in the wrong place doing the wrong thing and threw his whole life away. What happened? Well, for years, I preached that it was money, that he got his eyes off the Lord, and that he got his eyes on other things. But that has nothing in this world to do with why Lot went to Sodom. I'm going to show it to you. And once you see it, you'll say, why didn't I see that before? Here is Lot. Lot is walking with Abraham, and in the chapter before this, Abraham defects and goes down to the land of Zor at Sodom, near Sodom, and Lot went with him. But when Abraham came out of that wicked place, Lot came out with him. So he had already seen the likes of a Sodom and Gomorrah, but he didn't want it, and he didn't want to stay there, and he didn't stay there, and he stayed in the right way, and he came out with Abraham, but then something happened. They got, there was an argument between the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the herdmen of Abraham's cattle. And they were fussing over the land. Now, there was plenty of pasture, but they were two grouped up together. And Abraham said to Lot, 
Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my Herman and thy Herman, for we be brethren. Now, I want you to notice the two magic words in verse number nine. He said, is not the whole land before thee? He's speaking to Lot now. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take to the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, wait a minute. Hold the phone right there. Hold the phone. Wait a minute. He said, Lot, look, we can't walk together anymore. We've got too many cattle. We've been blessed too much. And our herdmen are fussing with each other. The Canaanites are dwelling in the land. The Perizzites, we don't want a bad testimony. So, Lot, you pick what you want, and I'll take what's left. You pick the direction you want, and I'll take the direction that's left. And immediately, the Bible says in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed his Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, hey, hey! Immediately, he looked the wrong direction when he passed one milepost. Those two little words, separate thyself. You see, Lot walked with God because Lot walked with Abraham. Lot lived holy because Abraham lived holy. Lot prayed because Abraham prayed. Lot had the stuff, and it was real, but he wasn't producing it. Abraham was. You see, Lot was a parasite Christian. He was living in the glow and the afterflow of a great man of God. And it was real. He was living the life, and he wanted the life. He had chosen the life. And his holiness was real. And his walk with God was real. But another man had broken through and walked with God for himself, and Lot was feeding on it. Lot was living in it. He was, he was living under the shadow and the end. He was a parasite Christian. And, but when the time came that they couldn't walk together anymore, and Abraham said, okay, Lot, your choice. Separate thyself. The next verse is dead fish in the water. Because he wasn't producing what he'd been using. I mean, he didn't have, I'm trying to take, listen, if you can get a hold of this truth tonight, it will save your life. It'll save you, teenager. It is a disgrace. It is a disgrace, the percentage of young people out of a Christian school like you've got that won't even be in church five to ten years from right now. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. What's wrong? What's happening? I've got my finger on it tonight. I want you to know it. Where are you plugged in? That's the title of the sermon if you want to put a tag on it. Where are you plugged in? Where is your plug? Where are you plugged in? Here was Lot. He was plugged into Abraham, but he wasn't plugged into God. He was living the life, walking the walk, talking the talk, separated. But he was getting it from Abraham. He wasn't getting it from God. He wasn't producing his own stuff. Uh, I mean, he was drawing power from a source other than the heavenly source. He wasn't drawing from his own power supply. Um, yeah, come here, preacher. Preacher has no ghost of an idea what I'm going to do right now, but I'm, I'm going to get the black and the red, straighten that out for me a little bit. So you come out in Iowa. Now, listen, you folks have pretty weather here, but you ought to live in Iowa. It's as cold as a mother-in-law's kiss in Iowa. It really is. Cold. <laughs> That's getting down pretty chilly, boys. Say amen right there. Oh, yeah. It was so cold the other morning in Iowa. I went, I heard a strange scratching at the door. 
And I went to, it was so cold. I went to open my door and, and it was so cold, it was my Christmas tree trying to get back in the house. That's how cold it was. <clears throat> but anyway, you go out on a cold Sunday morning and you go to start your car and go to church and you reach over there and you turn that thing and instead of, here's what you hear. Click, 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 click. It's a good oh boy. It's 10 below zero, 30 mile an hour north wind dropping the chill factor to 55 below zero. And I've seen that in the last 60 days. And you, uh, you say, oh, man. And you look up, somebody left the dome light on. You can leave the dome light on for three days in your car in this county, and you'll be fine. <laughs> but you ain't going to do that in our friend. And you click, click, click. And you look over, and there's the pastor. Hey, hey pastor, I, I, I've got a dead battery. Can you help me? He says, sure, I've got some jumper cables. And he comes over, and he says, now, lock this on your battery. And here we lock it on the battery. And he said, now, I'll put mine on my battery. You lock yours on your battery. He's never heard this sermon. He don't know what's going to come next. <laughs> when you see his nose light up, you'll know I'm making contact. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. And uh, here's what he says. He said, now, you sit right there, and I'm going to start my car. Don't you start yours yet, don't you? So he goes over there, start your engine, preacher, and, and give it a little gas. There you go. Louder, louder. Get louder. And I say, it's time to start. He said, no, no, don't start it yet. Boy, get revved up a little more. I reach over and I touch that ignition. And when I do, man, that thing goes. I jump out and take those jumper cables off. And I said, man, thank you. I've got power to spare. That's just what I think. You turn that ignition off and try to start it and see how much power you got. Everything you got was borrowed from somebody else. I'm speaking to young people all over this room, and you're going to get disconnected from parents and church, not sinfully or wrongfully, but rightly. You're going to go to college. You're going to get married. You're going to move from this zone into another zone. You're going to leave the influence and the impact and the convictions and the standards and the wa- See, here's the thing, young people, and this is what hurts me. You don't know it. You have no idea how much influence is at your borrowing. You're, you're borrowing it. It's, you're not producing it. Your mom desperate. The church. Look, you, you've got to dress a certain way here, girls. If you don't, they kick your head out of the school. <laughs> Amen. I mean, they, they give you your walking papers. And boys, you've got to do a certain way. You've got to have a certain haircut. You've got to do a certain way. If you're in the Christian school here, if you don't, uh, you're going to catch yourself out on the sidewalk on your ear. So they're going to kick you out of here. So, so you don't, it's popular to dress right around here. It's popular to do right and listen to the right kind of me. It's popular. You wouldn't be with the in crowd in the Christian school if you were some devil raising something. But you know something? Here's the thing. Listen to me. Get, get this. Get this. You don't realize how much you're drawing from your atmosphere and even from your pastor. You have no idea. Now, wait a minute. Stop here. But you're going to realize it because you're going to get separated in just a couple of years from now. And when that happens, we're going to find out where you're plugged in. We're going to find out where you are plugged in. Where are you plugged in? I tell you what. your wisdom, your separation, your holiness, your, even your prayer life, your dedication, your Bible reading. What are you going to do when you get married and nobody's there to tell you it's time to go to church, it's time to read your Bible, it's time to pray. It's time. Nobody's going to tell you, girls, that dress don't pass. Nobody's going to be there to tell you that. You're going to have to have a source of your own. You're going to have to have a wellspring to draw of your own. 
The Bible says in James 1.21, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Didn't say the preached word. Look, we can bring you in here and your pastor does three times a week and he can preach to you and he can teach you and feed me, feed me. But supposing I ask you to stand up tonight and show me what God has given you out of your Bible in the last 48 hours. That really, supposing I ask, supposing I ask you to stand up and tell me what answer to prayer you'd had in the last week or two weeks that you're excited to death about and that you're talking about. Supposing I ask you to do that, what would you do? What would you say? Who, where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into mama and daddy? Are you plugged into friends? Are you plugged into the pastor? Well, we're glad. You know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, my little children. Oh, I forgot. I left you standing there. You can sit down, preacher. Sorry about that. When I, listen, folks, when I'm preaching, I have no idea what else is going on. You can feel the back half of the church out 100% with Chinese people, and I wouldn't know it while I'm preaching. 100%. Now, here's what I'm saying. <clears throat> I'm just saying this. Um, where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? Uh, uh, what did he say? <clears throat> uh, let me give you. So he says, uh, oh, the Apostle Paul, that's where I was going. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he said, my little children of whom I travail again in birth until Christ be formed in you. And here's what he said. Be ye followers of me, Paul said, as I am of Christ. Paul said, now look. I'm following the Lord. I want you to follow me. Do right what I say. You follow me. But then later he said, my little children of whom I travail again in birth until Christ be formed in you. You see, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his disciples and they were following him. But then he came to a point. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, that t- you, you follow him. And they wa- no more walk with John, but they went and walked with Jesus from that point. You're going to have to have a moment in your life when you break through and walk with God for yourself. Why do you do what you do, young people? Girls, why do you dress like you do? Because it's right. Well, why is it right? Why is it right? Well, because that's just what we believe. Who's we? Well, my church. That's not going to cut it. You're about to face a world out there, and suddenly all the things you ever practiced and believed is going to be tested to find out whether you were drawing from God and personal convictions from His Word. Listen, young people in this room, parents ought to get a call from young people in this room in the next 48 hours or go to them and tell them. Say, Dad, scare them to death. Scare them absolutely to death. Say, Dad and Mom... I came to announce your standards and your convictions are not mine anymore. Now watch this. And about time they just turn pale and fall in the floor, say this. They're the same as yours, but I'm not doing them anymore just because you want me to. I found it in the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Why don't you drink a beer? You say, it's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Well, my my mom and my dad, well, mom and daddy ain't going to be there. They're not going to be there. Well, boy, our preacher, man, he preached. You're, pre- you're going to stand at a place of temptation beyond the greatest sermon he ever preached in your life. And he's not going to be there to help you with it either. And if, you're not, if you don't have, the Bible says uh, that um, Daniel was carried as a slave from 
uh, down into Babylon from Jerusalem. And when he got down there, the Bible says he refused the king's meat and the king's wine. Uh, come on, Daniel, let's have a little wine. Oh, I can't do that. Why not, Daniel? Oh, you, don't, you don't understand who my daddy was. My daddy was an Orthodox Jew. He was up in Jerusalem there. You don't understand. That's not going to cut it. Uh, but you don't understand. Look, the priest taught us in the temple. That, man, I, my mother would roll over in her grave if I were to take this wine. Look, that won't cut it. That's not, that's not enough for you to stand. You're not going to stand with that. But the Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. He had a wellspring, a resource in his heart, and he was drawing from that. Yeah. Where are you plugged in, young person? You say, I do what my mom and daddy said. Well, I'm glad you do. But you're going to have to take a step beyond that. You're going to have to take that step to say, what do I believe? What have I found in that Bible? And you're going to have to receive with meekness the ingrat. You know, Jeremiah said, I said I'll speak no more in his name. I'm going to quit on God. I'm sick and tired of people wiping their feet on me. I'm depressed, discouraged, and I beat my head against the wall to serve God. And nobody has listened and nobody has responded. I quit. You say, what was wrong with him? He was normal. He was normal. Now, be honest. Don't you want to quit sometime? Yeah, sure you do. If you don't, it's just because you're too young. Yeah, you will. <laughs> Somebody say, how did you pastor for 38, 39 years the Marion Avenue Baptist Church without wanting to quit? I didn't pastor the Marion Avenue Baptist Church without wanting to quit. If you only knew the times I wanted to quit, if you only knew the times I was depressed and discouraged and despondent, and I wanted to throw the whole thing in the street and go drive a truck or something, you know. If you only knew how many times but his word was as a fire in my bones. Shut up. I had something on the inside. I had more than Bobby Robertson gave me. He was my pastor. I had more than Jack Hiles gave me. I had more than Tom Malone gave me. I had more than Jack Treber gave me. I broke through and walked with God for myself. I had my own foundation. I had my own little factory inside producing what I believe. Yes. This I'm preaching tonight. I'm not preaching to the kids we're going to bring in on the bus Sunday morning. I'm preaching to the deacon's children and the teacher's children and the Christian school children. This message is for the inner circle. This message is for the inner circle. Look, we had three, we had, man, listen, we had 98 in our youth group and it was growing. And, uh, and hey, we had a youth group that blow the doors off. I mean, I was so with it every week and activities, and it was just an amazing thing. And we had three of our boys on the inner circle. I'm talking about they were Christian school. They were soul winning every week, and they was out there with all the activities. One night, three of them from three different families disappeared. Just disappeared. But they knew they'd run off together because they all three disappeared at the same time. They didn't find them for three days. One of the parents, everybody was looking for them. One of the parents found them. They were in an upstairs apartment. Just walked in on them. There they were. They had drank some beer and done some other stupid things. And this daddy walked in. I, know, I could call his name. I remember as though it happened last night. This daddy walked in. And he wasn't angry. As a matter of fact, more than grieved, he was confused. He looked at his own son. And his own son's two friends. And he said, boys. What in this world could have ever possessed you to do what you've done? And one of those boys spoke up and he said, well, I'll tell you why we did it. He said, we did it because we got sick and tired of being who we were not. And he told the truth. 
They did it because they got sick and tired of being who they were not. And young person, you're going to get sick and tired of being who you're really not. You're going to get sick of that. You're going to get sick of that. And, uh, and so the question is, who are you really? Man, I'm in the program. You've got to have more than just being in the program. Oh, yeah. Where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into people? Are you plugged into God? And, you, and it's dangerous because you, you're not aware of it. You're not aware of it. The Bible says in Genesis 35 that Joseph had a beautiful woman start trying to drag him off into immorality. The boy, last we heard of him, he was 17 years of age. I think he was a little older when this happened, but not much. And it was a beautiful woman. It was Potiphar's wife. You say, where did you ever read in the Bible? She was beautiful. Use your head, dummy. It was Potiphar's wife. Do <laughs> you think Potiphar would have picked somebody so ugly she had to sneak up on the glass and get a drink of water? Come on now, use your head. <laughs> somebody so ugly she'd go to Walmart to turn the surveillance cameras off? No. <laughs> it was Potiphar's wife. She cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, come lie with me. But Joseph refused. You think Joseph said, hey, woman, I can't do this. You don't know who my daddy was. My daddy was Jacob. He's the patriarch. He's the one that saw the angels ascending and descending on the right. I couldn't do this, woman. You don't know who my daddy was. Hey, look, daddy was gone, dead and gone. And he was too far away to help him at that moment of temptation. And listen to me, young lady and young man, you are going to stand in a place of temptation further than the greatest prayer your mother ever prayed and the greatest exhortation your daddy ever gave. And the greatest sermon that man right there ever preached, you're going to stand in that place of temptation. And if all you've got is just what he gave you, or what I gave you, or what mama gave you, or what daddy gave you, you're going to be a statistic. You're going to, you, you're going to be a dead fish in the water. And we're going to be t- talking about you about five or ten years from now. You know, boy, they were so dedicated in school. wonder what happened to them. You weren't plugged into the right place. Where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? I mean, it's something to think about. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 and verse number 6, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I walked with the greatness of the great. I walked halls with John R. Rice. I heard Bob Jones Sr. preach before he died. I mean, I, I had, I had uh, uh, Dr. Lee Roberts and Tom Malone both preach together in my church, preach to my young people together in my church. Um, I'm just simply saying, uh, but all that they ever gave me put together would not encourage me enough to lift me out of certain down times that I've been in. And if I hadn't been plugged into a higher power, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. Uh, listen to this. Don't, don't, boy, get a load of this. Uh, down here in Fort Lauderdale. Down here, I'm on the other end of the nation. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, the seagulls started dying. I mean, they were laying on the beach, hundreds of them. They were dying. And the environmentalists and the animal worshipers were having seizures trying to figure out who's killing all these seagulls. <laughs> and uh, so what they did, they, they gathered them up and ran them through the lab. The true story now, they ran them through the lab to find out what poison they're using to, to poison these seagulls. And what they found was astounding. They found out these seagulls were not being poisoned at all. These seagulls were dying of malnutrition. But that didn't make sense. 
Because if there's ever a creature on planet Earth that has an abundance of food continually, it's a seagull. Every time the tide goes out, it leaves the beach full of it, and they eat it. They're worse than a buzzard. They eat everything in the world, and, and, and the beach is laying full, and they just have plenty of food. And they check their food supply. Their food supply was as great there and up and down the seaboard all the way down to up to Savannah, Georgia, and all the way down to Key West. Hey, seagulls with the same amount of food supply were proliferating and doing great. They couldn't figure it. What's going on? And then they discovered the problem. For years, there'd been a shrimp port there. And these shrimping boats would come in at a certain time of day. They'd go out early in the morning and come in at the day. And they'd filter through and take out everything they didn't want for that particular business and dump it overboard, hundreds of pounds of it. And they arrived about the same time every day. And when they did, the sky got black with seagulls. And within a matter of hour to two and a half hours, hour to two and a half hours, they converged on and devoured hundreds of pounds of fish and mussels or whatever. But in time, competition ran that particular shrimping company out of business. And they discovered they had raised a generation of seagulls that didn't know how to find their own food. They had been hand-fed so long. You go to the Christian school here. They'll tell you how to walk. They'll tell you where to stand. They'll tell you where to sit. They'll tell you how to dress. They'll tell you how to talk. They'll tell you why not to talk. They'll tell you all of it. See, you, you never had to... You never had to face the pressure my wife and I did when we were in school. When the head of the football team, all the girls told us, said, Rhonda, we've all lost it. Come on, get in the program, meaning we've lost our virginity. We've lost our purity. Why don't you get in the program, Rhonda? And the head honcho football, Mr. Macho, said, I'll get her. Well, thank God he didn't get her. Thank God he didn't get her. And, and I'll tell you something. You've never had to face that pressure. Now, the answer, we, we're hand-feeding you, but that's going to go away. You're not going to be in school forever. And we're going to find out where you plugged in. And we're going to find out if you really have been getting your own food or if you've just been letting somebody else feed you. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to find out then. Mount Rainer National Park, you go through there, they'll beg you not to feed the deer. You go through there in the summertime, the tourists lined up. They'll almost eat out of your hand. But they beg you, don't feed the deer. It's not because they're afraid you'll poison those deer. You know, they'll tell you, if you ask them, they'll tell you why. Look, here's why. You feed these deer, you're not going to be here in January. And when it's 24 inches of snow on the ground, instead of being on the back 40, these deer digging down to get a root to stay alive, they're going to be standing out here waiting on you for another handout, and you're not going to be there. And they're going to die. They're going to stand here and freeze to death and die. You say, Brother Brown, what is the answer? The answer is not taking away your Christian school. The answer is not sending everybody to the public school. That's not the answer. We know that's not the answer. You say, well, Brother Brown, where do you, how do you get young people to break through to walk with God for themselves? I cannot do that. Your pastor cannot do that. He can preach. He can teach till he's green in the face. But he can't do that. Your mom and daddy can't do that for you. They can teach you and pray and work and try, but they cannot do that for you. There's got to be that moment when you just decide, I'm going to break through and walk with God for myself. <laughs> yes, hooray. I'm going to have a little, oh, I'm going to enjoy the preaching. I'll, I'll obey mom and dad and I'll stay in the program at the school, but that's not where I'm getting my stuff. Brother, I get along with God and I've come to grips with some things in this old black book right here. And I, I, listen, it's not just in my ears or in my head, it's in my heart. And I believe it and I know it. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into people? Are you plugged into God? Real quickly now. Can I give him one more? Uh, are you plugged into, well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to show you something now that will blow you away. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. I was doing a study on the charismatic movement some years ago, and I stumbled across this one accidentally. And I want you to see it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you're enriched in Him, by Him. Now notice here, look at the verse. In everything you're enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now look up at me. Those two words, utterance and knowledge, are two of the sign gifts that were given to Israel and uh, before the Bible closed. If you go over to, ch- don't turn now, but if you go over to chapter 12, 13, and 14, you'll see these gifts, utterance and knowledge, along with tongues and helps and healings and other sign gifts that were given to Israel before the Bible closed. And you will see them in operation. They all were in the church and they were being practiced. And, um, and, and, and they, were, they had all the spiritual gifts. He said, you come behind in no gift. Notice in verse number seven. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice verse number 10. Three verses, only three verses later, speaking to the same people. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Now, look in verse 11. It has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by the, them which are of the house of Chilo, that there are contentions among you, fussing with each other. You're acting like a bunch of babies. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. Turn the page, turn the page. Chapter 3, verse number 1, last part of the verse. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, uh, but as unto carnal. See that word in verse 1 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. Now notice verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Now notice the last part of verse number 4. Are ye not carnal? Well, how carnal were they? Wait, I'm going somewhere. Don't, don't lose me now. I'm going somewhere. How carnal were they? Well, if you look in chapter 5, verse number 1, for instance, it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Look, hey, they were living with their mom-in-law. I mean, they were doing things that the heathen didn't do. And when I read this, getting drunk at the Lord's table, and I said, whoa, Paul, hold it, stop. You just got done saying they didn't come behind in any spiritual gift. You just got done saying they have all the spiritual gifts. And then I go over to chapter 12, 13, and 14, and there's the gifts in operation. All of them. The gift of healing, the gift of knowledge, the gift of utterance. Now, Lord, you say that they, they've got all the spiritual gifts. Then you turn right around and say, as carnal as the devil, and name their sins, which is sickening. And I said, Lord, which is it? Do they have all these spiritual gifts or not? Are they carnal as the devil? Which is true? And I saw a truth that changed my life, and here it is. They were both true. They were running at an all-time high in their spiritual gift. They were running at an all-time low in their spirituality because spiritual gifts and spirituality are entirely two separate things. Your spiritual gifts what God gave you. Your spirituality is what you give God. Your spiritual gift is an outward thing. Your spirituality is an inward thing. Your spiritual gift is automatic. Look, you're not looking at my spirituality tonight. 
If I'm spiritual, God knows whether I am or not. If I'm spiritual, you wouldn't know it. You can't listen to a, even the greatest preacher you ever heard or the greatest lady in the world quote scripture, get up and sing a song. You can't look at them and tell whether they're spiritual or not. You say, oh, I think they're so spiritual. You don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know what's inside of a person. You're not looking at my spirituality. You're looking at my spiritual gift. Yeah. My spirituality is private. You can't see it. It's only my spiritual gifts. It may be determined by how many churches invite me somewhere to preach or what size crowds I preach. That may determine my spiritual gift, but it does not determine my spirituality. Yeah. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say my spiritual gift is easy and yours is too. My spirituality is hard. My spiritual gift. Look, can't you tell I love to preach? <laughs> Can't you tell? I just lo- hey, look, I was born to preach. I'll preach at the drop of a hat, and if you don't drop the hat, I will just so I get to preach. <laughs> I mean, listen, I-, I love to preach. I love to preach. You you shake me at three. If you were to shake me at three o'clock in the morning, brother Brown, it's time to go preach. I'll jump out and run out in the middle of the street, start ragging naked, and start preaching to people. I mean, listen, I'm, I I love to preach. I love to preach. It's easy. It's fun. I love to preach. It's fun. It's my gift. I love it. But my spirituality, to say to my wife, honey, I was a little nippy this morning. I wasn't in the right spirit, and I want you to forgive me. I don't like doing stuff like that. I hate that. I don't want to apologize to anybody for anything. It's my old carnal nature. My spirituality has to do with this. Lord, I've not prayed like I should in the last three days. You can't see that. My spirituality has to do with my giving. You don't know what I give and what I don't give. Yeah. Now, the lady sitting over here beside your pastor's wife, she's got an idea. Uh, tell him, call back. We're busy. We're, we're busy right now. And tell him, to call back as soon as, soon as service is over. That'll be fine. But um, look, th- this lady sitting right over here, she's got an idea. She's got an idea as to to whether I'm spiritual or not, and I'll give you permission to go talk to her about that after service, and she'll be frank with you. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, she's the most spiritual woman I've ever known in my life. Amen. You say, Brother Brown, what motivates you to live for God? Her, if I don't live for God, I'll be embarrassed because the way she lives for the Lord and reads her Bible and prays and talks to God. And what am I saying? Look, my spiritual gift and my spirituality are two separate things. Um, hey, Reldon Gerard knocked on my door. He was a deacon. I went and opened the door. My children were small. And he said, hey, preacher, before I tell you what I came to tell you, who cut your European mountain ash down? I said, what do you mean who cut my European beautiful ornamental tree in my backyard? I inherited with a house when I bought the house. It was this big around. It ran up here 25 feet. It, in the fall, it has those clusters of orange Berries and balls, you know, that turn bright. It's an ornamental, beautiful thing. Cost you money even to buy a little one. Somebody cut it off right at the ground. You could have taken a rotary lawnmower and run over the stump and not touched a thing. I said, and it was beautiful. I mean, the foliage was great. There wasn't a blight on it. I said, Reldon, what in the world? Who cut my tree down? <sighs> Why didn't they throw a brick through my window? I'd rather had that happen. I could have fixed that, but look at this. And I said, what did they use to cut it down? And I, I got down. And I looked. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. It was all flesh with the ground. The outer circumference, about that much of that tree, the outer circumference of the tree, the part that takes the water, the nutrients, the minerals, 
from the earth up the tree to produce all those leaves and branches and foliage. It was beautiful, and it was working perfect. But inside the tree, a worm had got in there and bred and multiplied until it had eaten the entire guts out of the center of that tree. So the thing's producing all this green foliage and fruit, but the part that holds the tree upright was gone. And one night, wasn't much of a wind at all. She just popped off right with the ground. See, I'm speaking to people all over this room. Your spiritual gift's working great. You're teaching that class, adult, mama, daddy, you're running that bus. You're going out on soul winning. And some of you young people get up here and sing. I guess you do. I, I've never been here before. I don't know what you I get up here and sing and sing specials. That's wonderful. That is your spirituality. That is your spiritual gift. But there's a part inside nobody can see. And if it keeps rotting away, some of these times you're going to pop off. Look, and you can play your guessing game if you want to. It's all right. Some years ago, a pastor of one of the greatest, largest fundamental churches in America, a 50-year-old man, took off with a teenage girl. I mean, one of the biggest centers for inspiration of fundamentalism in the world. And somebody said, I had a, I had a preacher call me. Brother Matt, what am I going to do? He's a young preacher. I said, what's your problem? He said, he was my hero. <laughs> If he fell, what am I going to do? I said, well, brother, I'm always grieved when I see somebody fall, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And my, my eyes is not on him. My eyes is on the Lord. Amen. Yeah, she said, what was his problem? I thought he was real. He was real. Oh, he was real. The fruit he was producing, he was doing things that the former pastor never did in missions and other areas. You see, his spiritual gift was working beautiful, the part that takes the things of God and produces things. But there was an inward part. His spirituality was rotten. And he just broke off. He just broke off. Here is my spiritual gift. Here is my spirituality. Now, my spirituality ought to be at least as high as my spiritual gift. Say amen right there. But this is easy. This is my spiritual gift. This is easy. This is hard. The discipline of self, the purging of my conscience when I know I've come short. This is hard. You can't see this, but you can't see this. So since this is easy and this is hard, it's easy to let this wane. But I look back at my spiritual gifts and say, well, preachers are still inviting me to preach revivals. I mean, I'm still getting, and I still preach. And when I preach things, wonderful things happen. Hey, that doesn't mean I'm spiritual. It just means my spiritual gift's still working, right? Okay. And then I look back at my spiritual, I say, but Lord, you know I'm not where I used to be. Lord, Lord, you know I'm not as close to you. But I look back at my spiritual gift and say, well, I couldn't be too bad. I mean, if I was too bad, how could I be used of God like I am? But I look back at my spirituality, it's getting lower and lower, and I say, but God, you know. Here's where I make my fatal mistake. When I take my eyes off my spirituality and I put them on my spiritual gift, I'm history. I'm gone. I'm gone. You see, <clears throat> folks, <coughs> I'm going to throw you in a shot. I'm going to let you know exactly how much time I've spent preparing for this sermon. Less than five minutes, as far as my gift's concerned. Do you know how much time I've spent preparing for this sermon spiritually? Well, I'm not going to tell you. There's a woman sitting over here against a wall. She knows how much time I've spent today. Oh, out of my room, alone, here in yonder, praying. She knows. I've spent... Many times more time 
preparing spiritually, working on my spiritual man that I have my gift. I preached this sermon before. I had the outline. I just pulled it out and preached it. So it don't take long. Your spiritual gift is a, is a quick thing. Your spirituality. Don't take long to get up here, girls, and practice up a song. Young men, practice up a song. Get up here and sing. Have every, oh, that was so fun. It don't take long. But when you go home, your brother and sister lives at home. They know how spiritual you are. Yeah, they, they know. And mom and daddy, your children know how spiritual you are too. Amen. Oh, everybody wants to look good at church. Here's my spiritual gift. I just want to sing this song for the glory of God tonight. I just want you to know that I love the Lord. Oh, let's sing and sing and let our spiritual gifts shine. Well, that's all fine and good. But I'm going to tell you, you make your brother and sister puke at home over the way you live and the way you act and your attitude and your ugly spirit and your selfishness and your lack of kindness. Hey, where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? Is it spiritual gift or spirituality? I said, where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? And by the way, I don't read books by charismatic, but, but Jim Baker, the charismatic Jim Baker, wrote a book. And in his book, he said, um, he said when Tammy Faye and I started out, Tammy Faye, you know, uh, he, he was the one, she was the one that wore so much face paint and so forth. Uh, Tammy Faye. You, you, by the way, they took a chisel and they got all that makeup off of Tammy Faye Baker. You know what they found under there? Jimmy Hoffa is under there all the time. Uh, but, <coughs> but anyway... He said, you don't believe this. When they started out, here's what Jim Baker said. He said, when Tammy Faye and I started out, we were old line, four square Pentecostal. Now, I won't take time to explain it. If you know, they were old fashioned Pentecostal, holiness, Pentecostal holiness people. Said Tammy Faye never cut her hair. She let her hair get long. She wore it up in a bun a lot and only let it down at home. She never wore any makeup. She wore makeup, she'd die and go to hell. She cut her hair, she'd die and go to hell. I mean, and, and, and they weren't right about a lot of things, but he said we were so sincere on serving God. And he said we preached and the power of God came. And God's power does come on people sometimes, if not straight on doctrine. And he said, man, the crowds came. And as the crowds came and the thing began to grow, we had to, we had to get it a little bigger so we could get more people in. And so we began to jive up the music a little more. And Tammy Faye started putting on a little makeup. And then she put on a little more and a little more and a little more. And he said, man, we had the music jiving and we just got it alive. And he said, suddenly, he didn't put it this way, but here's what he was saying. We took our eyes off our spirituality and we put it on our spiritual gift. And there's where they went down, right there. There's where they went down. That's where they went down the immoral road. Where are you plugged in, young person? Where are you plugged in, mom? I know I'm preaching heavy to the young people, but uh, how about you, mom and dad? Where are you plugged in? Where are you plugged in? Somebody said, Brother Brown, uh, by the way, this explains Samson. Samson laid his head in Delilah, a prostitute's lap. You know, and by the way, he came out of the city of Zor. He had such power of God on that man. The gates, they said the gates and the, and the posts weighed 2,000 pounds, weighed a ton. And Samson walked up to him. The Philistines was waiting on him. They were at the top of the hill waiting to catch him when he came out. He just walked up to him, and with the power of God, he reached down. He didn't just lift 2,000 pounds. He pulled it out of the ground, pulled the whole post out of the ground. He had the power of God on him right after he got up and spent the night with a harlot. His spiritual gift was running at an all-time high. His spirituality was running at an all-time low. Because spiritual gifts 
and spirituality are entirely two separate things. Where are you plugged in? You know, here was Elijah. And Elijah, boy, he had the power of God on him. And then a painted-faced Jezebel got after him. and He took off like a scared rabbit. At least he had that much sense. And, and, he, and he got down by the brook Cherith, and uh, he was crying out to God. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, I've been jealous for the Lord, I, my God. I'm the only one serving you, Lord. And they've all forsaken you. I'm, nobody's listening to him. I'm the only one, God. The Lord said, first of all, Elijah, I got 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. You think you're the only one? I got 7,000. And another thing, Elijah, I'll speak to you. Elijah went out and he said, all of a sudden, there was an earthquake. Oh, glory to God. God showed up. Praise the Lord. And then there was a, there was a, a mighty Russian wind, like a tornado. Oh, hallelujah. God came. And then there was a still, small voice. And that's when God spoke to him. Uh, have you heard that still, small voice the last I'm not talking about with your ears, but have you prayed and talked to the Lord? Where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into the spectacular? Are you plugged into the show? Are you plugged into what, what you think of yourself when you walk in the Christian school here or walk in the church, ladies and gentlemen? Is that where you plugged in? Are you pl- Somebody said, Brother Brown, are you trying to get in the Hall of Fame as a preacher? Heaven no, Betsy. I'm just trying to stay out of the Hall of Shame. That's what I'm doing. That's where I spend my time, trying to stay out of the Hall of Shame. Amen? We've seen a lot of the big boys bite the dust, haven't we? Oh, yes. And then last but not least, now listen carefully. Listen carefully. Where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into God? Are you plugged into people? Are you plugged into spiritual gifts? Are you plugged into spirituality? And number three, are you really plugged into God? Are you just plugged into a false profession? Matthew 7, verse number 21. You know what the Lord said? Don't turn. I'll I'll, I'll just read it to you. The Lord said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of of heaven. Uh, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He said, a lot of people stay before, God, look what we did. We were faithful in church. We tithed. We sang in the choir. Lord, look what we ran a bus. We were on so, Lord, look. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I was preaching. I was 16 years old, teenagers. I was preaching in Dan River Church one night, 14 miles from my house. I'd been invited there to speak. And I preached on a Sunday night. Gave the invitation, and among other people, a 16-year-old girl came down the aisle crying and said, I need to be saved. I said, somebody show this girl over here how to be saved. You know why I said that? Because I wasn't saved myself, and I knew it. I didn't think I was saved. See, I never doubted my salvation until after I was saved. I didn't have anything to doubt. I'd made a profession. I was trapped. I knew I was lost, but I didn't know how to turn around. I thought the whole world had caved in if I admitted to everybody, look, I'm really not a Christian. I'm really not saved. Years ago when people, I'm closing the sermon now, years ago when people traveled by train, uh, a fellow traveled all the time by train, 
But he had a friend that never traveled on a train before. And they went down to the train station. And this fellow traveled all the time. He was pretty fat-headed, and he was showing off all he knew about train travel. So he said to his buddy, he said, come on, we'll get on the car. And his buddy said, wait a minute. They stuck up a sign that says, please wait for the conductor before you board the car. He said, ah, that's what people don't know anything about riding trains. They know me down here. I mean, I know what to do. He said, come on. Well, they got on the car. They were early, and they sat there. They were talking. This fat-headed fellow was talking about all he knew about trains. Well, suddenly the conductor stepped up on the car and he said, fellas, I hate to inconvenience you, uh, but you're going to have to get off of this car and get on the one right in front of it. And this fat-headed egotistical fellow said, "Uh, well, Mr. Conductor, may I ask you a question? He said, yes, sir. He was embarrassed in front of his friend, you know. He said, "Uh, the question is this. In this car as nice as the one in front of us, the conductor said, I believe it is. He said, doesn't this car ride as as good as the one in front of us? He said, you don't come think of it, it does. He said, in this car, as well furnished as the one in front of us. He said, you know, you've got a good point. He said, in the service as good on this car as it is in the one in front of us. He said, you are right. He said, well, would you please tell me why we've got to get off of this car and get on the one in front of us? And the conductor leaned forward and he said, because, sir, this car's not connected to anything going anywhere. <laughs> Don't you look as good as those that are born again? Or you're living the life. I mean, you know, you, you got it all together. But are you going anywhere when the rapture takes place? I was preaching in McDonald, not at McDonald, Georgia. I was preaching. I can't remember. Someplace in Georgia. But anyway, I was preaching. It was a Christian school, about the size of your Christian school. And I was preaching on a Tuesday morning. I brought out this little message I'm sharing with you here. And, uh, and, and I preached it. And I went, flew back to Iowa and Three days later, the pastor called me and said, Preacher, you've got to know this. There's a boy in our, raised all his life in our church. He's 16 years old. He's in our school. And he said, uh, uh, you, you brought that message. He said, he walked in the next morning. And he said, I am lost. I'm going to hell. I know I am. I professed. He said, he, I couldn't believe it. He said, I couldn't believe it. I mean, his mama, his daddy was the treasurer. His mama sang in the choir. I mean, they were the, he wasn't going to the end. He said, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he got born again. Got saved. I wouldn't, listen, I wouldn't have an ounce of respect for anybody come in your church and make your people doubt their salvation. I'm not into that business. But I am telling you this. Some of you know in your heart you really never have been saved. I had a preacher friend who was running 3,000 in his church. And it was Sunday morning, gave an invitation, people all over the place getting saved. He said, I looked down in front of me and my wife was standing there. He said, I thought she wanted to tell me about somebody needed some counsel. Said, I turned over and said, honey, what, what, what's going on? She said, I ain't going to hell for you or nobody else. He said, what? What? She said, I'm not going to hell for you or nobody else. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm lost. He said, I couldn't think of what to say. She said, I'm lost. I'm going to hell. He said, well, get down there and get saved then. <laughs> and she did. She just dropped down on her knees and cried out to God and got born again. Me, of all people, if I went forward in the service tonight and God saved me, I hate to deflate your ego, but people don't care as much about what you think and what you're doing as you think. You know what they'd do if, if, if all of the ch- preacher's children came forward and got saved tonight? You know what would happen? You young people say, wow, that's amazing. That shocked me. Let's go, to, let's go to Burger King. Let's go to Dairy Queen. Let's go, let's go to Chick-fil-A, you know. Yeah. 
It wouldn't be a big deal. And 100 years from tonight, it's not going to matter one iota what anybody thought about you getting it settled tonight. Where are you? Pl- I said, where are you plugged in? Are you plugged into people? Are you plugged into God? Are you plugged into spiritual gifts? Are you plugged into spirituality? Are you plugged into a false profession? Are you plugged into eternal life because you know you really got born to get? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. Nobody looking around.